You know, there's this thought that in the word it says that God gives grace and a measure of grace to each and every person. There is this thought in some that that grace means I can barely just, it's just enough to help me just crawl and slide over the top. I'm telling you, grace is God's empowering presence. And when his grace is upon you, he gives you the strength to walk through any storm. Amen? Amen. Barb Meyer, where's Barb? Barb has the word. Testimony, I believe. Yahoo. Well, I had a a phone call yesterday on my cell phone, and the person said um, um, they wanted service master, and I said, oh, this isn't service master, and he said, oh, I must have the wrong number. I said, "Uh, no, you didn't get a wrong number. (laughs) (coughs) He said, I didn't, and I said, no. I said, I don't believe in wrong numbers. You called me for a reason. How can I pray for you? And he said, what? And I said, is there anything I can pray for you for? He said, well, actually, my knee has been really bothering me. I said, okay, put your hand on your knee. And I prayed for his knee to be healed. And it was. Bragging on God. Most of you saw the young ministers making the rounds this morning, uh, handing things out. And and I want you to know that was their own idea. They came up with that on their own. There's no junior junior Holy Spirit. That's right. (coughs) That's right. I got a feeling there was a lot of spiritual work going on this morning. And uh, by a show of hands, how many were touched by uh, the young people coming around? Oh, that's awesome. And Woo. how many felt a difference in your body? Did anybody feel? There we go. Look at that. Yep. Okay. Very cool. And for those that haven't felt it yet, be ready. It's probably coming. Maybe today. And if any of you think that this was just kids having fun, just prior I was realizing that the Lord had really, it's amazing how he keeps me going and that I am healed. And Shepard specifically went looking for me to give me this card that says you are healed. So <laughs> it wasn't that he, he was just confirming through, through, the, through the little one, confirming what he'd done. Yeah, so good. You know, I just love the fact that the gospel that we preach, when it's followed by signs and wonders, what a demonstration of awesomeness, right? So incredible. Well, we had started a journey focusing on John's, the book of John and John's unique uh, character that he displays in his gospel. And we really were focusing in on the seven miracles as recorded in the book of John. And we, we had some conferences and stuff came up, and, and the last one uh, Cyril shared on was the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I want to go back there today, and I want to share a few things with you. 
Um, most of you probably know this, but there are 37 actual recorded miracles in the entire New Testament. We know there had to have been so many more. In fact, there's references to the fact there's so many, there's not any buildings in the world that could contain all the record of all of the things that Jesus did in terms of miraculous signs and wonders. But John chose only seven. Out of all of the 37 miracles, John chose only 37. I'm just going to do a short review. I typically don't do a lot of reviews uh, when I'm preaching a series, but at the end of the day, it's been a long time since we've been here. So just for a few moments, indulge me here. Just a little context. Uh, the book of John covers only, the entire book covers only about 21 days out of three and a half years of being with Jesus. That's some, that's some major compacting, isn't it? 21 days out of three and a half years. John devotes 10 chapters to just one week. And probably a third of the almost 800 verses in the entire book, in the Gospel of John, he devotes to just one day. So this Bible is powerful. This, this book is powerful. It's packed with a lot of stuff. And probably what's so unique about the Gospel of John is its, is its symbolism. It's highly symbolic in the way it presents the facts about Jesus and his ministry. Tons of symbolism is woven throughout the book of John. And due to John's use of extensive symbolism, uh, it's a very intriguing uh, gospel. And everything that, he actually, everything that he recorded actually did happen, but he arranged them and he described them in ways that convey additional truths. Sometimes he got them out of chronological order because he was trying to make a point. How many have really read the book of John? Okay, good. So, um, like, you know, in, the, in terms of symbolism, John, he writes G about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. You know, Jesus, he, John chose seven miracles. And they're followed by seven discourses of the great I am statements. And this is a symbolism where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. A lot of symbolism in this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Tons of symbolism in the book of John. So the richness of John's symbolism, I believe, makes his gospel a favorite among those who uh, view scripture from a high level of, of uh, inspiration. So let's go on to miracle five. Right after the feeding of the 5,000 plus, I loved how Cyril referenced that because we see 5,000, but you know that if they were just feeding men who now they brought wives and children, I, I mean, that, I say 5,000 plus because we really don't know the number, but if you do the math, it could have been 25, 30,000 people. That's mind-boggling out of just a little couple loaves and some fish. Isn't that crazy cool? That in itself is a powerful, powerful miracle. But I want to move on to Miracle 5 where we find Jesus walking on the water. Okay, turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 6, verses 16 through 25. You know, Jesus, they really felt they, the people in his land, really felt that Jesus had come to deliver them from all of the Roman oppression. But that wasn't the plan that Jesus had. In fact, the kingdom that he brought wasn't of this world. So Jesus is walking on a whole different track than what they're thinking. But Jesus, it says, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. Well, there's a thought. Withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It says, when the evening came, 
his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat set up across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough and they had rowed about three or four miles. The mile, the lake's probably about, I believe, six miles across. So they're roughly halfway across. <clears throat> when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Who wouldn't be frightened? This was so outside of their paradigm. It was so far outside of their box to see a man, let alone Jesus, walking on the water. This had to have rocked their world. In fact, in Matthew, it says, they, they said in Matthew, it is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I've never seen a ghost walking on water, but that's what they thought. They were so frightened, so taken away by this. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. This word, it is I, is the same word, the same verbiage that's used when, when, when Moses is standing at the burning bush and the word comes forth and it says, I am the great I am. Jesus is saying, I am the great I am. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. <laughs> That's a mind blower. The disciples said, here, here, here's kind of what's going on. The, the disciples had labored all night long to row only about halfway across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had sent them on a mission. He said, boys, get to the other side. I will meet you there. So they're, they're, they're pouring a coal to it, and nothing's working. You ever raft it on the river a certain time of the day, and the wind starts blowing back up the canyon? And you're like rowing for 20 minutes going, I don't think we've passed that rock. <laughs> I mean, it's brutal. It, it really can really affect your morale, too. It's like, I'm just going to pull over and walk home, you know. But Anyhow. So they'd walked halfway across, or excuse me, they had only rode about halfway across the Sea of Galilee when the Lord passed by them, actually walked up to them on the water. When they realized it was Jesus, they let him in the boat, and immediately they reached their destination. Now, it's really not recorded as such, but is this miracle of, of just reaching their destination all of a sudden, is that just kind of a, another miracle that's kind of mentioned just in an offhanded kind of way? I don't know. It's interesting. There's not a lot of hype or anything put on it. But without Jesus, it's easy to surmise they were making no headway at all. But once he was in their midst, once he was in the boat with them, their struggle was over. Now, it's interesting because this story also appears in Matthew and in Mark. It does not mention it at all in Luke. But the story is mentioned in Matthew and Mark. As in the feeding of the 5,000, there's tons of additional information that can be gained if you begin to read all three accounts. It's really important that we just don't focus on one account. It's good to look at a synopsis of all the Gospels and kind of get an idea. Sometimes it's called the four faces of Jesus, the Gospels. It's, it's how that person, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, viewed what was going on through their own eyes. It's their eyewitness story to what was going on. So here we have all of them agreeing that this event followed immediately after or right on the heels of feeding the 5,000 plus and that the disciples set out across the lake without Jesus while he went up on the mountainside to pray. That's the imagery. So if you read the preamble to the feeding of the 5,000, you'll recall why Jesus even came to that remote area. He was trying to get away and I believe that he wanted to grieve the death 
of John the Baptist. That, that, he was taking that really in his heart and he just wanted a moment. And, and I believe also he had his disciples with him because it was, would be a great time to get away all by themselves and talk about kind of the recent missionary trip of where they've been and what was going on. Kind of a debriefing moment. But as always, their presence was discovered. It's kind of like, hey, look, there he is. Go tell your neighbors and your friends. You can imagine what would have happened. And here comes thousands of people. But Jesus, being who he is, doesn't say, stop. I need my personal time. Stop. What's he do? He sets everything aside. And he begins to minister to their needs. He feeds them. He dismisses them. And now he's free to be alone. So what does he do? And maybe, maybe part of it was telling his disciples to get in a boat. And, and without him, maybe this was some kind of effort to divert the crowd so that he could get away and have some face time with his daddy. And it's getting dark, it says. They get in the boat. Maybe all the crowd thought Jesus was in the boat. I don't know. And they roll off across and disappear. And, but Jesus, he slides up on the hill and he spends some face time with his father. In Matthew 14, 25, we were told that it was the fourth watch of the night. That's about 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. So they had been rowing almost all night long. I don't know about you, but, man, you get to a point where you go, you know, let's let the wind blow us back. We'll, we'll do a reboot tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe we'll walk around the lake. It'll be quicker. Talk about, talk about a lot of movement without progress. You ever felt like that? You're like, you're, oh, you're leaning into it, and you're doing everything you can, and you look around, and you realize, I haven't done nothing, or I haven't moved from this spot in a long time. They were straining at the oars. They were not getting very far. In fact, Mark 6, 48 tells us that Jesus was making better time walking than they were rowing, and he was about to pass them by. <laughs> and that's when they saw him, and they said, come on, Jesus. You know, thinking that Jesus was a ghost, again, they were terrified. But he calmed them by identifying himself. And he said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. I think that in itself is a great word. Jesus is saying to you, it is I. Take courage. Take heart at your core. Take heart. It is I. Be encouraged. I am with you. Mark 14 tells us this beautiful story of Peter. Peter was such a character. It says, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, re Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. What did Jesus say? Don't get out of the boat. Or when you do, make sure you put your water wings on. This isn't going to go. Well. No, Jesus just said, come. He said, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, the storm, and all that was going on, he lost focus. It says, he, and, he beginning, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out and he caught him by the hand and he, and, and he grabs hold of him. And now here's Peter standing on the water with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Immediately again, Jesus reached out and caught him by the hand. He says, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? This isn't the first time Jesus calmed a storm. But he says, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. <sighs> Done. Can you imagine that moment? It's kind of like a windy day 
winds howling and screaming, you get inside your car and you shut the door. It's like one of those moments, but everything just stops. Here was their response. Then those in the boat worshipped worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. His mastery over the laws of nature had persuaded them. Jesus just stepped up his game and showed them who he really was, that he was master over nature. This, this is why it's so important that we learn to speak to the environment around us with the authority that God's given us. You've heard me many times say, stop talking about your problems. Yeah. Speak to your problems. Yeah. You have that authority to speak to your problems and say, go in the name of Jesus. I don't need to deal with you today. And tell them to go. Instead of stop talking, you know, I've got this and that. And, you know, in 1968, I hurt this. And in 82, I stop it. Tell it to go. Speak to your storm. You have the authority. There's so much going on in this book, especially in this miracle. So. What is the lesson to be learned? This is kind of the Sunday school version that most of us grew up with, okay? But if you stick with me, wait, there's more, okay? So the lesson to be learned here, typically we've been taught over the years, is that when Peter jumps out of the boat, his heart really is full of good intentions, correct? He wants to go and be with Jesus. And sometimes we take a leap of faith with good intentions like Peter's, and soon our faith falters as well. How many of you have taken a leap of faith only to find your faith faltering. Yeah, the hands are kind of like. <laughs> yes, I think we've all had that experience. And our faith falters. Peter's exercise of faith does not end in failure, though. It doesn't end in failure. Although he's seeking in fear, he calls out to the Lord, Save me! Jesus, save me! God loves to hear our cry for help. You know why? Because it means we know we can't save ourselves. Amen. I cannot save myself. I cannot save you. I can help you on the journey, but only Jesus and Jesus alone has the power to reach into our waters and pull us out. Amen? Amen. So the disciples' experience reminds us that a, a lapse of faith is merely just a stumble. I've met so many people that said, you know, I tried and I stepped out and it fell apart. And they take their towel, they throw it in, they take their football under their home arm and they go home. Guys, just because we stumble and we fall doesn't mean it's end of game. It's a great opportunity to learn and to trust Jesus, ask him for help. And he helps us get back up and says, okay, let's try this again. But let's, let's, let's change a few things here. Amen? So... When we cry out, Lord, save me, as in the story here, the Lord is immediately at our side. He's reaching out to, to, to pull us into a safe place, and I'm telling you, you are never, hear me, you are never, ever, ever, ever beyond the reach of Jesus. Never underestimate the cry of your heart. Never. Remember the story of Jesus moving the through the crowd, and there's that one man, you can imagine the hundreds if not thousands of people going, Jesus, Jesus, help me, help me, save me, Jesus. And he hears one voice. He hears a man saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Out of all of the crowd, out of all of the voices, he heard that because he heard the man's heart. When Jesus hears your heart cry, he's right there beside you. He's ready to reach in and pull you into the boat and take you into a safe place to the other side. 
Okay, where am I? As Jesus and Peter climb back into the boat, the storm dies. It just stops. It ceases. The storm is over, and peace comes upon the water. Peace comes upon, upon their heart. Jesus and Jesus is alone is the one who calms the storm. And the, the disciples, we read in the scripture, they respond to everything they've just witnessed happen with incredible awe, with incredible adoration and worship of the Lord. I don't know about you, but on Sunday mornings when we come to worship, that's my moment to respond to how awesome and how amazing and how grateful and how thankful I am for what God has done for me. And I hope that's your heart as well. What a powerful, powerful thing it is to be able to worship. To Jesus, they say in Matthew 14, truly you are the son of God. They are beginning to grasp that Jesus is all power, even, even over the forces of nature. And, in that, and, and the disciples at that moment take another step closer to possessing even more mature faith. Amen? So Jesus uses this stormy experience to bring his followers into a fuller understanding of who he is as their God and as their king and as their Lord. He is the almighty Lord of the winds and the waves. And when he is present with us in our lifeboat, we can trust him to either calm the storm or to calm us. Amen? No, that could be the end of this. That could be a great analogy that you would use in a, in a, in a Sunday school, adult, children type setting, that Jesus is the one we stay focused on. If we lose our focus, we begin to fall and drift and spin. But I think there's something deeper here. As, as I studied John's gospel over the years, something began to emerge to me. And I I just want to share this with you because I think this is part of the symbolism that could take us into even a deeper understanding of how powerful and God's big plan is. Are you ready? Okay. The seven miracles of the Gospel of John are also called signs. Now, each miracle is, carries with it a, a specific meaning, a purpose, or a message. Each one of the miracles. And we've kind of found that out as we've made this journey. And... So the symbolism. Let's look at the boat and the disciples. Here's the boat. Here's the boat, whatever a boat looks like, on the sea. And here's the disciples in the boat. That was pretty good. Here's the disciples in the boat. Let that represent Israel. Let the boat and the disciples represent Israel on their journey, on their mission, which was more than just the promised land, God had a bigger mandate than just the promised land for the nation of Israel, okay? Let's let the sea underneath the boat represent the unbelieving world. Isaiah 57 tells us, but the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So here's this rough water under the boat as Israel's on this journey, so to speak, that's just wanting them to fall into it so it could suck them down into all of its stuff. And Peter. Peter, we know, typically represents the church. 
Matthew 6, 18, it says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I'm going to use the word church here to mean individual people all the way up to the capital C, the body of Christ, the entire body of Christ, okay? So here's some symbolism. So just, if you can follow me here for just a quick moment, just as the disciples had made very little progress rowing across the sea against the wind, Israel had made very little progress in their mandate to tell the world about God. Right? And if you studied Old Testament history, we see in Isaiah 43, it says, God said, and this is kind of the Lord rebuking them. He says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even the Lord, I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed I, and not some foreign lowercase g, God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. They had a mission, and that was to show the world that there was a God. And God chose the Jewish people as his means to bless all of mankind. That was God's plan. And just as Peter was called out of the boat to walk on the water, the church has been called out of Israel to dwell in the world and to preach the gospel to the ends of the world. Right? That's where we get the great commission from. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We should, that should be written. And Can I use the word tattooed on our hearts? It should be baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. I am surely with you always to the end of the age. So what is birthed out of the great commission? What comes out of this great commandment to go where God calls the church out of Israel? Those born again Jews, God called them out of that whole Jewish nation, called them out and said, go and preach this gospel to everyone. I'll tell you what was birthed. I believe it was a new people of God. Out of that came a new people of God. United in Christ. In Ephesians 2, chapter 12, Paul describes what the Gentiles' condition was before Jesus came. Remember, it was Jews and the Gentiles. First to the Jews, then later to the Gentiles. But God had to call the people out of Israel, out of that nation of Israel, the church, the ones that would bring forth the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, to all of us, right? <clears throat> Remember that we, at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the mission of Israel was to, to show the people how much God loved them. And they were struggling to get that right. They were just like the disciples in the boat trying to go to the other side. They were struggling. Man, they were like halfway across, just barely making it. And this is where you and I, I believe, we all started from. In Isaiah, it says, but the wicked are like tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. <clears throat> there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. I don't know about you, but there was a moment in my life where I was lost in a sea of wickedness. And Jesus comes along because he can walk over the top of all of that. And he comes along and he reaches down and he grabbed my hand. And he said, come on, get in the boat. 
Look at verse 19 um, in Ephesians. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You know, a lot of people at this point like to say, you know, we were adopted into the family of God. We were adopted into that, that, that what the Jews got, we're adopted into that. We're adopted into the family of God. And, and I think there's a better way to say that. Adoption to me kind of me has this, con can have this connotation like, you know, you're, you're adopted. You really don't have full reign because you're not of the bloodline, you know. That's so wrong. I don't know about you, but I was born again and became a new creation. When my daughter and son-in-law adopted their little son, Landon, what a journey. When they adopted Landon, they had this huge moment. It was all done on Zoom, <clears throat> and we got to watch it. You're watching the judge in the courtroom and the attorneys and everything. The judge was so amazing. He said, he said McIntyre clan, I want you to know that in a few days, maybe a few weeks, you're going to get in the paper a birth certificate. It's not a certificate of adoption. You need to understand, this young man is now part of your family. He is of you. And, and just that moment, I just thought, this is amazing. It wasn't a certificate of adoption. It was a birth certificate with Landon McIntyre on it. And that's who he became. When we come to Jesus, we're born again. We come into the family of God. What happens? We're a new creation. We're sons and daughters. We're not just people sitting on the... We're not stepkids or, or stepdaughters or stepsons. We're the real deal. And we have full access to everything the Father has. Right? <clears throat> we find the same summary uh, given in Ephesians 3.6 where Paul defines the mystery of Christ that he preaches... To be, he says, to be specific, the mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews and fellow members of the body and fellow part partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now this, I hope I can tie this all together in just a moment. But let's summarize. There was a moment once we were separated from Christ. Now Christ himself has stepped across the rough waters to get to us and to pull himself to us. He has drawn himself, himself near to us. Once we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and now we are fellow citizens of Israel. That's what the word of God says. We're part of the big family. Once we were strangers to the covenants of promise, now we are fellow partakers of that very promise. Amen. We don't get a sub-promise. We we're, we're partakers of the promise. Once we were without hope, oh my goodness, now we are fellow heirs of all God has to give. <clears throat> we're heirs. We're written in his will or whatever you want to call it. We're written and our name is in the book. Yeah. And it doesn't say stepchild or adopted person. It just says you're the real deal. This is my son and this is my daughter. Paul's picture here, guys, it, it, when he's talking about Israel and the Jews and all this, his picture here is not that we move into these blessings of God on these separate parallel boats moving forward, the Jews in one, the Gentiles in the other. But no, all of a sudden this boat becomes one boat and we're all in it together. Paul says, Paul says in Ephesians 4, this is, the, this is so powerful to me. Ephesians 4 talks about 
God-giving gifts, you know, the fivefold ministry, apostles, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, all of this is for the equipping of the saints. Why? Because unity is coming someday. This is where everything comes together and begins to flow together. He says in 4.13, until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son and God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of, excuse me, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ in the unity of the faith. <clears throat> That's what God's waiting for. We have all these boats floating all over the place. It's time to pull into the harbor and get in the boat and row together. And when we do that, Jesus is there in the boat with us. And he will help us get to the other side. You guys, can you guys see that? This is amazing to me. You know, we can, well, um, we can row off in all different directions. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, when we all get in the boat together, when we all lock arms, grab onto those oars and begin to row together, the synergy that is created is the body of Christ begins to arise and stands tall. And the world goes, whoa, that. That's powerful. That's Jesus. Instead of this fragmented thing, everybody's running around going, it's this way, it's that way. Jesus said, you know, you do, let's do this, let's do that. No, when we can all come together and be one in the faith, I believe that's the unity that God is looking for. And what unites this new people of God, I believe, is Jesus. We are a people of Jesus. We should all be in the same boat rowing together. And as we do, Jesus comes alongside, he gets in the boat, and we're going to be miraculously on the other side. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, Galatians, two last scriptures. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free. There is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> That's why I have no problem whatsoever with a sister coming up here and preaching because in Christ we are one yeah. it's powerful women have an incredible perspective that guys honestly we need to hear that I, I don't have a problem with that people go you know why do you forget that read the word if we're in Christ there should be no barriers there should be no glass ceilings let it go that's just religion and you're in a whole nother boat pal but in this boat, we love the sisters, and we love them sharing. Colossians 3.11 says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now for me, that's quite a boat ride. Amen? Let's stand. And now you know the adult version. <clears throat> I just love the Word of God. Every time you read it and you go back to it, you find something different. It's like, did, did God put another something in here? Because I don't remember seeing that last time. Isn't that amazing? You know, I want us to increase in the knowledge of God. But let's not ever forget, I want us also to increase more in the knowing of who he is. Right? So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this moment. 
where we can come together, we can share and talk about your word, and we can come away changed a little more into your image. And Father, I just pray that you would go down the corridor of everyone's heart in here today and show them if they're rowing in a whole nother boat, a whole nother direction, going down a whole nother river that's not your heart. And Father, help them come back to that place where we get in the boat together and we move forward together. And Father, in that, that doesn't mean that we lose who we are, individuality. It doesn't mean that we lose all that because the word is quite clear that there are different parts of the body. Some row, some navigate, some, there's so much to do, God, as you call us forward. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I want to pray too that if there are here to, people here today that are, have really lost focus of Jesus and they just feel like they're sinking in the sea, Father, that you would come along right now and just grab their hand and pull them into your heart, into a safe place, and bring them inside the boat with you, God. Wow. Thank you, God. You know, I don't know <clears throat> who you are, but I know that there's someone in this room, maybe some ones, who have never really experienced Jesus at all. They've heard about him. They may even talked about him, but they've never had an encounter with the living God. They've never had that radical encounter that totally changes them from the inside out. I just want to say, if that's you, if you would like to experience and know Jesus, let's just all bow our heads for a moment. I'd like you to just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up. If you want to know more about Jesus, you want to feel him more in your life. Father, I just pray that you'll answer the cry of the hearts of those people in here that want to know you more. Thank you, God. Father, that they would have an encounter with you that would absolutely rock their world. Father, we never want to stand up here and share you without a demonstration of power. And God, your presence is here. And you want to change hearts, God. Mm. Thank you, Lord. I'll be up here for a few moments when we're done. If you want to come up, I'd love to pray with you. So, Father, we just thank you for this wonderful day. Amen. If you could help pick up a few chairs, that would be awesome.